Any ideas about the uh, uh, nominee for administrator of FMCSA? Have you guys heard anything? Anybody in particular that, uh, that that you would like to see there? I'd like to see Todd Spencer there. <laughs> Todd. <laughs> I think my phone must have broke up. <laughs> I think you heard just fine. Voices you heard there were, in order after my question, that of OOIDA Executive Vice President Louis Pugh, President Todd Spencer, and longtime Public Relations Director Norita Taylor, mulling over Pugh's personal pick for FMCSA Administrator. Let the nominations begin. We talked about the subject early this week in preparation for this edition of the Overdrive Radio Podcast, where we will try to answer some of the questions around just what the election's outcome at the national level will mean for some of the issues most impactful for small trucking businesses and drivers. I'm Todd Dills, your host for today, and among the issues explored on some level are some of what you might expect from the headlines of this year. The hours of service, naturally, and changes put in places of September 29th will those flexibility-enhancing measures see further work, perhaps, for more flexibility. Could things take a step back? Infrastructure and parking concerns, as well as the attention to the issue of detention. Will a Biden administration take a regulatory interest in it? Pet items that have occasionally been pushed by congressional Democrats, like raising uh, carriers' liability insurance minimums, mandates for speed limiters, and more. Can we see action there? The Department of Labor's new focus on clarity in the independent contractor employee classification issues, in addition to how states like California want to fundamentally approach such classification issues differently. Emission standards for new heavy-duty equipment established by the EPA, the COVID-19 virus, and what needs still may exist for a dedicated testing infrastructure for commercial truckers, as OIDA uh, attempted to press the Trump administration for early on in the pandemic. And along the way, uh, we'll get to quite a bit more, including the basic outlook for any change at all, as Louis Pugh established pretty early on in our talk, laying out some of the association's most basic advocacy concerns as the calendar turns to the new year and the new Congress and administration. Fortunately, unfortunately, however you want to look at it, I think a lot of our stuff is going to remain the same. You know, it pretty much looks like the House is going to stay Democrat, the Senate's going to stay Republican. So they'll kind of cancel each other out. We'll get a gridlock. We're really hoping to get some um, par- our parking bill, you know, our 6104, which is probably going to, you know, it's going to not make it through this year, but we're hoping next year it's got good bipartisan support. So, you know, we look at that and we hope that we can get everyone to get together on that. You know, of course, the same things with insurance minimums, speed limiters, all these things that Democrats have a little more idea of pushing. I don't know whether they will or they won't, you know, how that'll play. I mean, fortunately, hopefully the Senate can stop some of that stuff. Um, as far as the Biden administration, the big thing is going to be what he does with FMCSA, DOT, he puts in charge. We feel as far as the issues that concern us, like speed limiters, insurance minerals or stuff, if that stays in Congress, probably won't go anywhere for the next two years. Now, that's not to say that if Biden wants these issues that he won't go after them on a regulatory platform and go that way, which that 
concerned just to a point, but it, it's real hard. I asked our DC guys about this morning, and you know they said the same thing. It's, it's kind of hard to tell because we got some new people. You know, neither party happened what they thought would happen. You know, the Democrats thought they were going to have a big win. The Republicans, of course, thought the president was going to stay, and you know I think they thought they were going to get. And what everybody thought was didn't happen. So. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Will people be more willing to work together since they both didn't do as good as they thought? Or will this make them more divided? Will the parties divide amongst themselves inside the parties? It's sort of all right. in the air. There's a great deal more where that came from. But before we get there, quick word from Overdrive Radio's sponsor. First Guard, the trucker's insurance company, offering leased owner operators the insurance protection you need and the service that you deserve. Contact today for a free physical damage or non-trucking liability quote. Firstguard.com That's numeral 1STGuard. Firstguard.com Thinking about election cycles broadly and the way that they impact lawmakers' ability to actually serve their constituents and the nation, OIDA President Todd Spencer recalled a time not all that long ago in history where an unwritten rule prevailed, particularly in the House of Representatives, when it came to really tackling an issue that the country faced broadly. You know, I can sort of remember in the old days, lawmakers and House of Representatives used to follow this uh, sort of unwritten rule where after an election, they would spend the first year trying to address issues that they'd heard about, issues that deal with the country faces, and uh, they would spend the first year address those issues. And then the second year, they would resort to political mode where they're all running for office and beating the hell out of each other and uh, in anticipation of a favorable outcome for themselves in November. But now, uh, regrettably and unfortunately, people vote, we pick who we want, and then immediately the next, the campaigning for the next election starts. And so it's it's like everybody's constantly running for office and, uh, and, and no real issues seem to ever get addressed. Uh, so it's a contact sport for for one year uh, out of the two-year cycle, right? Uh, but, yeah, but, but it's, uh, it's turning into a two-year contact sport, you know, where you yeah. don't get anything done but fight. Right. And, you know, like their people are starting their re-election campaign already. Yeah. And here I'll say the technology gremlins intruded on uh, Spencer's connection. No matter, though, we got him back on the phone lines pretty quick. The, the never-ending uh, election, yeah. you know, when, you know, it, 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 in recent years, you know, you have an election, you get elected, and then suddenly, immediately, you resume running for the next office, running for the next cycle. And it just is, you know, it's counterproductive to what lawmakers presumably run for office for to, to address some of these issues. Right. And uh, it's frustrating for, certainly frustrating for us, for our members, because there are some important issues that, you know, that need to be dealt with. You know, I could mention, uh, certainly it would be good to have uh, some kind of forward focus on terms of addressing how we how we pay for highways going forward, and you know as opposed to just simply uh, for what state lawmakers are going to be inclined to do. We're we're concerned is just 
is we're concerned that they're going to start they'll start moving even more aggressively into coming up with toll road solutions, which we don't certainly we don't see as in the interest of truckers, but they're not in the interest of the public either. But you know, regardless. But but having said that, even if they don't, even if they want to dodge that again, uh, one of the things that the the COVID uh, situation has, has certainly brought home to uh, the importance to the entire entire U.S. is just how important and essential truck drivers are in satisfying uh, people's daily needs, and the, those needs uh, are going to be even greater going forward. And and certainly the biggest. The, the among the biggest challenges that drivers have is, hey, look, we've got to have some place where we can get rest when we need to stop and rest. Right. And that's this has been an issue for drivers for 20 years. And lawmakers can provide some solutions there if they have the motivation. And we certainly they will ha- we certainly hope they will have the motivation. And we're going to be encouraging our members to the extent that they can to encouraging some kind of action in that area. Yeah, Louis, Louis was, you were talking just a minute ago about the, um, about the bill that uh, was introduced uh, early uh, this past year um, around the, uh, the parking, uh, parking issue. And basically refresh my memory on it. I think it would have, um, it would have taken, um, you know, the, the lead of, you know, some kind of pet, some of the past initiatives such as Jason's law, but also, but taking that little forward, forward in a different way in terms of uh, uh, providing some you know, specific um, monetary numbers, I believe, behind the amount of investment that would be available. Yeah, uh, it actually provided, you, you know, Congress can say they want and they can, uh, they can authorize anything they want, but until they actually appropriate money for it, uh, nothing is going to happen. And this was a piece of legislation that said we will spend uh, $750 million on truck parking right. and not studies parking uh, to address this issue. Right. Uh, H.R. 6104. And, you know, there is an opposition to this from anywhere in trucking with the exception of truck stop operators, they're not so keen on it simply because they think it might take some customers away from them. We don't think that's going to be the uh, the likely outcome of that at all, simply because drivers would prefer to go to truck stops to park. Uh, having said that, uh, you know, this isn't rocket science that we don't have nearly enough truck stops. And there are lots and lots of reasons for it. We stand ready to work with truck stop operators to try to, uh, to try to ease their opportunities to expand and to build new ones. But having said that, uh, drivers right today need some place to stop and rest when they're tired. I mean, otherwise our system just breaks down. And just to add to that, you know, that's the one thing of our bill is probably different. One, we have the reserve funds, that money has to be reserved, but then they just can't, that money has to go for parking and it's going to be like to get that money. Truck stops could get that money. They have to work with their state and their legislator as well to increase their parking. They have to do a bid. It's all bid process. 
on what you're doing. So there's some oversight to see what's going on. So it's not money for surveys. It's not money for electronics. It's money to put actual pavement down for places to park. Right. It's 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 capacity building capacity. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Right. Next topic: the hours of service. FMCSA has made moves toward doing a real-world test of taking the 14-hour clock pause value that is newly part of the split sleeper birth rules shorter qualifying birth periods and allowing even shorter pauses with a potential once-a-duty day break of as little as a half hour and up to three hours. This was part of what OIDA proposed with the hours of service rewrite. Does the association expect that study to go through to fruition and a potential change under the next administration? Conversely, could we see adverse impacts on the recently introduced hours changes? Here's Louis Pugh. Again, I would say it comes down probably more to who Biden puts in FMCSA, who he decides. That would be my opinion. And I don't think we have any idea what by where Biden lands on any of this stuff. So this may be a place he may not care or maybe he does. And he'll use his power and people to try to roll things back regulatory wise. You know, I, I, like I said, I don't know that Congress wants to touch it with a 10 foot pole, but I don't know as far as on the regulatory side where, where they land. Right. Any ideas about the, uh, uh, a nominee for administrator of FMCSA. Have you guys heard anything? Anybody in particular that, uh, that, that you would like to see there? I'd like to see Todd Spencer there. <laughs> <laughs> Todd? <laughs> <laughs> I think my phone must have broke up. <laughs> I think you heard just fine. I was going to say, uh, you know, probably, well, I, I don't know. I was going to speculate that whoever gets named Secretary of Transportation may have a significant role in that, but but maybe not. Uh, generally, those kinds of decisions are made based on uh, sort of political realities as opposed to uh, what, what you might most immediately think of. Uh, we've seen... Uh, you know, oftentimes, the, since the the uh, supposed primary mission of the agency is safety, oftentimes uh, they look toward regulators or perhaps somebody that comes from the safety arena. Uh, the other thing that would be would be folks need to keep in mind is that whoever gets picked, uh, there will be some people that may like. And there may be some others that say, no, 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 that's not a good pick. So they'll be pushing in a different direction. But right now, we haven't really heard anything. Yeah. I would like to think, you know, I'd kind of like to see some, I'd hope for a little continuity on the part of the agency, certainly to go on and finish what they're working on. Uh, you know, I think perhaps hours of service may be impacted by, I mean, there may be lawsuits filed. Right. Now, I would think, and the position that we're going to, we would take at OIDA is that the changes, the changes that the agency has made in the hours of service regulations are changes that can actually have a safety, a positive safety outcome. 
And uh, I would think folks would have a hard time showing otherwise. But, you know, we'll see. I know the FMCC is considering uh, petitions uh, related to uh, 371.3 regulation around brokered transaction records and transparency uh, therein or uh, or lack thereof and, uh, and I know there's a big debate over that. Um, any any kind of an outlook for where that goes or is that, is that something that you, you think the, ag- the agency will continue to uh, pursue uh, or try to resolve in some way or, um, or are we more likely to just see stasis there? I think they kind of have to and uh, simply because of the, you know, the, the, the uh, you know, the priority that this has kind of been given. And, and of course, you know, the administration, the Trump administration had assigned this, uh, this issue to Department of Justice to look at. We've not heard anything from DOJ on uh, how their, their investigation into this has gone, but, but I think the agency has to do something with it. It's probably, you know, to point out the obvious, uh, you know, the, the transparency requirement that we're talking about here has been on the books for 40 years. Yeah. Uh, uh, we just, you know, the, we just have some on the other side of the issue that simply choose not to comply with that aspect of the regulation. Now, if they did, does that necessarily change anything? Not necessarily. It just says, transparency disclosure right. it doesn't change anything uh, per se other than it can make all parties more informed about the overall economics and transportation yep. and i don't really see how you can complain about you know we're providing too much transparency here brokers are their role in this is the, in essence, the intermediary between the carrier and the shipper. And you're going to have shippers that are going to prefer to work. They would much prefer to work with a a transportation intermediary than they would a hundred different truckers uh, from just from an administrative standpoint, you can understand the motivation and the attractiveness. Uh, And then of course, the you know the dilemma you know we would always tell truckers to work directly with the shipper if you can but it's again that's not always going to be possible it's not going to always be possible with big shippers it's not going to be always possible in areas where you may not frequent regularly again we all have roles that we play in moving goods and it's in the interest of all of us concerned that we treat each other fairly. So we treat each other fairly and, and, and honesty and you know transparency is a part of that. So we'll see. Missions standards too were a part of the discussion with the question of just how much change we can expect for heavy duty diesels on the regulatory front. Given how quickly California wants to move toward increasingly stringent standards on its own. There are lots of players in the trucking community that, you know, believe 
a national standard uh, is in the interest of the country. And when I say lots of players, uh, you know, truck makers, engine makers, they don't want to be stuck in a situation where they're making two different kinds of stuff. Uh, They want to make one. And, of course, this was a lot of motivation that got us to where we are right now. Uh, and from a if, from a business standpoint, they're operating from. Now, from the standpoint of a truck user, and I wouldn't begin to suggest that I'd speak for everyone, but for the most part, uh, we're going to have trucking for a long, 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 long time. Somebody has to move goods to people. Uh, and it, and trucks are the most feasible way to do it. Whatever that truck is equipped with, uh, the operator and the owner and the operator of that vehicle has got to have some assurance that you know that there is a there is a payback in the equipment that they're using, uh, and, and that the equipment is reliable. Uh, it, <laughs> It's got to be reliable and it can't break you because of breakdowns and things like that. And, you know, we expect, we expect, uh, we're going to hold these people responsible for producing that kind of a product. And that's not, again, that's not too much to ask. Uh, I mean, everything needs to do, needs to be, needs to be reliable enough that it will perform. And, you know, that. Those kinds of standards need to be placed on the people that actually provide the products that we're going to be using. And I've uh, certainly seen the speculation, as have some of you, no doubt, about the California Air Resources Board's retiring leader, Mary Nichols, being possibly appointed to the role of EPA leader. In use diesel regulation, like what's in place in California, do we have to worry about that now, too? I asked. Well, I doubt on a national scale, but but again, we all ought to have a, a, a yeah, common so goal yeah. of doing things better. Mm-hmm. And what has to happen with the the you know the states and the feds and those that are in charge of overseeing this stuff? There has to be a recognition that you know that the the actual service providers, the people that actually move the goods and. Uh, that it's will workable will be workable for them because most of trucking is small business, and and of course, again, now more than ever, you have to realize just how essential each one of these men and women are, and they need to have the tools that they can work with that make sense. So, that's keep that in mind, and that's got to be that's got to be the message that. We keep delivering over and over and over. You, you guys did uh, get a get a pretty good um, response eventually out of the current administration um, in the sort of the call for uh, personal protective equipment. But I believe also you were calling for uh, access to a testing infrastructure um, uh, devoted to uh, uh, truck operators. I don't think we really got that. Um, and I know some other countries have done that um, to an extent, I believe Australia, for instance. Um, is that something that um, that is still a need, you, do you think? Um, well. And what would it look like if so? You know, I don't know. Well, uh, given 
the spread of the virus across the country, uh, mm-hmm. I, I would think that need is there. I would have to say that I am absolutely thrilled that we've seen, uh, we haven't seen more cases of uh, the COVID-19 among truck drivers. I mean, I've got to think if there's, if there's a blessing with about spending large amounts of time by yourself and driving a truck, I mean, that's it. Uh, But, you know, we're not, we're not turning the corner, so to speak, on this virus. It continues to spread. And, uh, and I think we're going to be dealing this for a while yet. And it's going to be a while yet before we see an effective vaccine and that an effective vaccine that actually can be distributed in the, in mass and and you know so yeah I think the need will still be there uh, and hopefully you know again I guess I'm just going to say we're fortunate to not have had more drivers you know uh, we do not have drivers face more exposure than they do now and we all ought to take our hats off to them for being as well being as dedicated and focused as they have been in terms of taking care of the country i agree with you wholeheartedly there for sure and um you know when it comes to uh, economic stimulus um as uh, you know the kind of the sba uh, loans and and uh, paycheck protection program and all that um i know there's been some talks about uh, talks in congress that sort of disintegrated uh, prior to the election and uh, any any outlook there um, is there anything particular that owner operators should be looking for out of out of that assuming this is renewed and uh, it does sound like something that um, it's definitely something I think I've, I've heard uh, uh, Biden and allies talk, talk about um, uh, we think there's a likelihood of one more round uh, it's going to be. It, it's it's hard to say where its focus will be, but there are some, you know, there are some economic indicators going on in the economy right now that suggest there may be a slowdown coming, and I think Congress would probably prefer not to see that not happen. Uh, and of course, uh, from the standpoint of small business truckers. Uh, Many were able to participate in some of the programs previously, but uh, ironically, uh, some of the smallest of the small uh, aren't really set up with the kinds of accounting systems and analysis that would be, that's really required to to easily tap into these systems. So uh, if they do this again, we hope there'll be a, a greater, a greater tailor uh, that will spend a greater amount of time kind of fine tuning for the smallest of the smalls. Some of that, some of that money can be, could be used to actually upgrade equipment and, and you know, kind of, well, yeah, upgrade equipment that can have a, a good, a, a good, a better benefit overall uh, economically and, and environmentally. Yeah, because it was so much of it was um, it was tailored toward um, paying paying oneself uh, if if you're a, if you're a one truck, uh, one employee uh, type of business or keeping folks on payroll, and not 
not the not the equipment investment, right? Yeah, and I think I think by and large, I mean I would credit that with keeping the economy going uh, in the manner that it's going in right now, which is still overall pretty well. Right. Uh, and you know, again, uh, there may there will still be some bumps in the road, and you know, we're also communicating with uh, lawmakers on some type of uh, uh, specific types of tax relief that could help the smallest of the operators that maybe aren't able to take advantage of some of the other things. Uh, we certainly think the that fixed fee 2290 highway use tax that's generally for most of our guys 550 bucks a year. You know, there would be none complain about having that uh, having that waived for a year. And, right. you know, it obviously it would come back, but I mean, that would be something that wouldn't be a monster hit to the government, but it would be a benefit to smaller operators. Finally, I asked about the Department of Labor's recent move to clarify an independent contractor and employee classification system for the purposes of the Fair Labor Standards Act. Todd Spencer pointed to OOIDA's com comment on that request for information, which among other things, pointed out the necessity of recognizing the long-standing legality and practice of traditional owner-operator-carrier leasing arrangements, as governed by the long-codified truth in leasing regs. One could, he noted, see a bit of contradiction in that the leasing regs more or less require exclusivity on the part of the leased owner-operator to the motor carrier. While independent contractor control tests do take into account such exclusivity in their determinations, Recognition of long-standing practice, underpinned by prior case law, the association noted, should preserve the legality of such arrangements. But as for the uh, intrastate and inter interstate considerations, uh, such as what's happening around the ABC test in California and for California uh, domiciled drivers, Spencer argued that for intrastate drivers, states have a legitimate interest in enforcing their rules. Not so when it came to a truly interstate driver, where federal practice should supersede, he believed. And, as goes any broader Department of Labor attention to trucking, a new subject reared its head, that of the long-time exemption for carriers uh, from overtime pay standards for employee drivers, which led down the road to detention and more. Here's Spencer. We welcome the Department of Labor looking at trucking overall in that, uh, you know, drivers may be the only profession where you are ex you're covered by DOL regulations, just not the one that requires you be paid uh, time and a half for hours beyond 40. Mm -hmm. And because of that, uh, drivers end up working far more hours than they should have to, to make a decent buck. Uh, and we believe if drivers were actually paid for their time, uh, you would see our industry work a whole lot more efficiently, and we'd see drivers detained at shippers and receivers a whole lot less than they are right now. And that is a big problem specifically for drivers but it's a tremendous economic drain on the industry and society overall because, you know, look, uh, when people will waste your time uh, for free just because you can, that's one of the biggest reasons 
that we don't have people choosing trucking as a career. They work in trucking until they find something better, and then they're gone. That isn't in the interest of anyone. Uh, <laughs> they're replaced by somebody new that's more than likely going to be far more likely to crash, going to be a less safe driver, and you know, that's, that's moving the industry in the wrong direction. That, um, that, that's uh, very good points and maybe a good spot to uh, end this, but it makes me, does make me think about um, some of the past uh, legislations that's been proposed around uh, detention time um, and some ma mandatory paid detention uh, in lieu of uh, uh, required time and a half pay, I guess. But uh, th that kind of proposal, that mandatory detention um, pay, or or just more focus on it, maybe uh, from from lawmakers and the administration. Is that something that we're likely to see here? I know it's it's appeared in Democratic drafts of highway bills in the past, and Peter DeFazio, I know, had a big has uh, shown some interest in it, focus on it. There is no downside to that kind of discussion because what we're really talking about here is how much time, how a driver's time is going to be treated, whether it's going to be, have any value placed on it. And, uh, and right now, there is no value placed on the time of most people that drive. And, you know, the end goal of all of this is not necessarily collecting detention pay. The end goal is eliminating detention. Yeah. Uh, there's no reason that an occupation, any occupation, should come with a, a requirement that you're going to spend 20, 30, 40, 50% of your time. Uh, it's going to be wasted without without some kind of corresponding benefit. And, and that's kind of where we are right now. And you know, that status quo needs to change. What's your take on what owner-operators should be looking out for in the new Congress and administration over the next couple of years? Dial into our podcast line at 530-408-6423 to weigh in with a voice message. You can record a voice memo on your phone, too, and send it my way via tdills at randallreilly.com. That's tdills, uh, like my name, Todd Dills at Randall, R-A-N-D-A-L-L, Riley, R-E-I-L-L-Y, dot com. Be sure to state your name and location with any message. Thanks for listening, and also thanks to our sponsor in First Guard. And until next time, keep it pro out there.